I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John's Gospel, John's Gospel chapter 3, and we will cover the last portion of what started with a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, and we will round out that portion of the chapter. There'll be a little left over that we'll study next week before we segue into our Missions Emphasis Month. But let me read to you. We'll back up to verse 16, but we'll work our way through verse 21. And we've spent enough time in these verses, and the fact that 16 is uh, the world's best-known verse, uh, I'm going to try to lend a little bit of emphasis to those specific words that we uh, studied particularly over the last few weeks. So just as we read through this and your eyes go over the text, we'll assign that meaning to those words as to what it is that we are to understand, and we'll add these verses we've yet to cover. For God so loved the world, verse 16, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's bow in prayer and ask the Lord to help us understand his word. Father in heaven, we ask again, we ask the author of these words to explain these words to our heart. Lord, give us the gift of grace, not only to understand your word, but to be obedient to it. Lord, impress upon us the seriousness, the, the weightiness of and what they communicate. And Lord, most of all, what our response to We ask these things in your strong name. Amen. Well, we're following along with John who is building a case, a case to convince the reader that Jesus is who he said he was. He writes that they would believe, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing, you might have life in his name. We regularly and routinely see courtroom language in what John is saying. That's, that's the way he frames his, his arguments, and the same is true here. There's courtroom language throughout. We're given words like world, which, it, which, which apply to everybody, and then a whoever that believe that are part of this world, the whoever are a selective number of people. That's not everybody any longer. Then we read words like condemned or not condemned. 
and the word judgment. This is the judgment. And later on, that their works should be exposed and then later carried out in God. The emphasis, however, of this passage in the verses that we add to 16 and 17 from last week, it really is straightforward. This isn't complicated. It's, it, it, it doesn't require a seminary degree. John is very clear in what he says, and the words he used in Greek are among the basic most basic of vocabulary you would find in that language, even translating it into English. A child can understand these things, but the weight of it couldn't be more weighty. You couldn't anymore be playing for keeps than what we're reading here. This is life. This is death. And the hard truth of what we added this morning is that there will be condemnation, a guilty verdict for certain people, for eternity. The difference between the world that includes everybody and the whoever that believe has an opposite number, those who do not. And they are condemned, John tells us. That is something that is difficult to, to, to say out loud. It's something that's difficult to tell someone you love. It's, it's difficult to stand on as a truth of the Bible that there is such a place as hell designed to separate those who do not believe from God forever as the full punishment of what was described early on in Genesis. If you eat of the tree, you will surely die. So that is what we're discussing this morning. And we're going to We're going to look at it by asking the question, why is that? Why has God ordained that some would face eternal punishment? How is that part of the plan? Just how does that work? But before we attempt to answer that question, and John is going to give us three reasons why, and we'll see them clearly right here in the passage we just read. Before we do that, let's back up a bit and take... Uh, a few practice swings. I know we've got people who take practice swings here. If you golf, you probably, before you drive that ball straight or crooked or however you do, you take a few practice swings, right? You don't hit the ball, you just act like you're going to. And then you hit it. Or with baseball, before the pitcher winds up, they're always taking practice swings. Same is true with uh, football, especially when they get down in field goal range, the kicker will start kicking balls into a net, right? Getting ready to execute something. So before we arrive at a theological conviction as to what these verses mean, let's make sure we've got what's already been given to us in the previous verses right in front of our face. So we make sure we've got the whole thing together and it all makes sense. So once more, risking being redundant and making sure we thoroughly review, God loved a world, right? A world that no less hated him. We learned about that last week. So much did he love this world that he crushed his own son in their place. That he had promised he would punish their sin. He crushed them as a result. But instead he crushed his son in their place. On a cross, so that whoever, anybody, 
It doesn't matter who, it's whoever. And we remember that the world included everybody, but the whoever didn't. The offer to the world was that whoever, it didn't matter your race, didn't matter your color, didn't matter your tribe, didn't matter your clan, didn't matter your education. We didn't go specifically into all this, but none of those things matter. Doesn't matter your means, doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter if you're rich, doesn't matter if you're poor. Does it matter if you're blind? Does it matter if you're deaf? If you can understand the scriptures, this is open to you. And those who don't understand the scriptures, they're protected by innocence. There's other passages of scripture we, we use for that. But it doesn't matter. Whoever means whoever. There's no restrictions whatsoever. I think that's clear. Whosoever believes in him will not perish. Then we get to verse 17. That God did not send his son into the world, the world that hated him, in order to condemn the world. As if God had put up with it as long as he could. And at a certain point, he sends his son to this world that hates him to set this world straight because the world had gone wrong. That's not the reason why Jesus was sent. We learn in verse 17 that he sent his son into this world that hated him in order that they might be saved through him. That has to do with the way in which God determined to put his son in the place of the world as payment for their sins. Then we get to verse 18 this morning. It's new territory, but this is where it comes to a dramatic conclusion and then the rest of this has to do with explaining what is said in verse 18 in verse 18 we see again the word whoever right to reiterate what was said in verse 16 John says whoever believes on him that is in Jesus who was sent here by his father into the world that hated him he who believes in him is not condemned it's the same way as saying will not perish that is for the whoever that believes. But, and there's the turn, the transition. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. And that's given in the past tense. And it means they will surely perish. The verdict's already been determined. And the point of this is that the same way the whoever worked in verse 16 doesn't matter who you are or what you, you know as far as education or what you have as far as resources or means. The offer is open to anyone. It works the same way, perhaps in the opposite fashion in verse 18. It doesn't matter who you are. You could have been born in a Christian home and attended church perfectly since you were born. You could be the teacher of a Sunday school class. You could be in that long line of people who at the judgment would say, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name. But all of that is for no use if you do not believe. Belief is the tipping point between condemnation and not condemnation. Whoever believes, whoever doesn't is condemned already. Doesn't matter who you are, or what you've done. So to be clear, the implications of this passage boil down to eternal life or eternal death, heaven or hell. 
and it isn't possible to be playing any more for keeps than what we're discussing right here, right now. So, those are the practice swings. That's what we've got on our plate. Why has it got to be this way? Wouldn't we like it if it were different? Wouldn't we like our Bibles to end at John 3.17? Why must we have 18? Why must we teach the truth of the fact that some will spend eternity in punishment? Well, John is saying that life and death hinges on belief. And John gives us at least three reasons by the end of verse 21 to answer our question, why? And here they are. Number one, and that's in verse 18, and it's simply because they are condemned already. It's past tense. Condemnation is the default position, is another way to put it. We read in Romans 10, here's in uh, in the New Testament, Paul writing in his epistles, it's very clear, more places than one. You probably know this by heart. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. None understand, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You, you almost want to say, oh, Paul, how do you really tell us how you feel there? That's about as many different angles of saying the same thing as you could possibly do. And then in Romans 3.23, that was 10, 11, and 12, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a standard known as the glory of God. We've all fallen short of that. We're condemned already. All of those failures are in the, in the past tense. The default position of a human before God after Adam and Eve's fall into sin is condemnation. I'll cut to the chase. If you eat the fruit, you will surely die. Now, just to make sure we're thorough, if we went back to Genesis chapter 2, and it's been this way since the second chapter of the Bible, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And that was before this took place. But, but there it is. God Almighty, who made this world and all that's in it, puts a restriction on them. He can do so. He's God. They're the creation. And if you disobey, there will be punishment. So the question is, is this fair? People like to suppose a number of things. You've probably heard as many, perhaps, as I have. What about the poor, innocent man in the remote jungle? Will he die condemned without belief? Well, if you use that word innocent, no. But you need to know there's no such thing as an innocent anybody. The innocent man, jungle or Manhattan, doesn't exist. Since Adam and Eve, we've been sinners. And we participate in sin as being born of Adam and Eve. You say, I don't like that arrangement. I don't either. But it's the truth of it. We are lost by default. There's another statement. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's not true either. There are no good people. It'd be better to ask the question... Why do good things happen to bad people? Why does anything good happen? Why is God good? 
Because we've always been bad. Right out of the gate of this grand experiment. And the folks that want to talk about how the problems with man come from man's environment. There were no problems in Eden. And call it paradise for nothing. They had their free will and they made their decision. And as a result, our default position, to say it a third time, after Adam and Eve's fall into sin is condemnation because we have broken the commands of God. You might want to write this down. And this will take care of point number one. The world was in need of a Savior before God sent His Son. And it goes along with the verse. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew the plan ahead of time. Number two. John gives us this as he continues. Because of their unbelief. Not only are they condemned already. And that's why they, some will suffer condemnation. But secondly, because of their unbelief. I mean, go back and look. Look there in 18. Whoever believes is, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So if you look at it this way, if they're already condemned, that's the default. There's no such thing as a good person. We're all dead in our trespasses. Then on top of this, God sends His only Son to die in their place, but they refuse to believe the gift of grace. So this is an added layer of wrong against the Lord. First of all, sin then disbelief in the gift of life to save us from our sin. They have refused the gift of the Father, the gift of grace. Now, we could argue here, and we've got Scripture to back this up, that there's something to be said of responsibility. And we talked about this Wednesday evening, that there are different degrees to which we are accountable to our sin. We're all lost. You offend one point, you offend the whole thing. So technically we're condemned already. But to those who persist in rejecting the claims of truth, the grace of God, you become more and more and more culpable for your sin. And I have to pay attention semantically to the words we use there, but... Those of you who've had children in your home, you know the difference between childhood carelessness and willful, deliberate disobedience. You approach the two of those differently, do you not? Think about how accountable we are. Which would you rather, be an Old Testament person or a New Testament person? After Christ has come, has lived his period of time on earth, died on the cross, buried, risen at the right hand of the throne of the Father, the New Testament's complete. We have the whole story right here in our Bibles, and we, privileged among all, an embarrassment of riches as the church in America, have heard this so many times. If the pastor dropped dead, most of us, if we weren't scared to, could stand up and finish it, Right? How many Sunday school lessons have you sat through? How many Wednesday night Bible studies? How many uh, podcasts? How many radio broadcasts? Uh, how many of your, your own daily devotions? 
How much of this truth have you known and known and known and known? It comes down to the fact, do you believe it or not? And should someone choose to disbelieve it after they've heard numerous times? It becomes worse, John is saying. Jesus said something similar in Matthew 11. He, he begins to illustrate by saying, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Those were two geographical locations. They're, they're towns. For if the mighty works done in you, so Jesus had been doing miracles, demonstrating that he was who he said he was. If this thing had been done in Tyre and Sidon, and those, uh, we must understand, happened to be some really bad towns, uh, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Because they've had more light. Does that make sense? John's been talking about light and darkness from the beginning. Some parts of this world are darker than others. It's about as bright a white light of the gospel as you can get here in America. Uh, you listen to David Platt talk about unreached people groups and how he challenges those who say they're unreached people uh, at the place where they work. And he says, that's not true. You work there. They've been reached. You're just not saying. You're not telling them. And if they've heard, then they're responsible. But Jesus is saying here that it'll be worse for some people who persist in their unbelief. So is unbelief a big deal? Well, it depends on how big a deal grace was and how big a deal it is to reject it and how big, it is, big a deal it is to be condemned already. It's like being double condemned. So remember after last week, we were supposing if God created and God persisted with his people, the better question would not be, why is there only one way to heaven? The better question would be, why is there any way to heaven? The world on an individual level, has committed cosmic treason. And then God gave them his son. But there are some who not only are already condemned, but they persist in not believing that there's a way out. And then finally, because they love darkness rather than light. And this is where we'll spend a little more time. Because I think this is more telling than the other two. For some folks, it's just... Yeah, yeah, that's, that's basically theology you're telling me. And I've heard about the story in the Garden of Eden, and, and I understand all these things. But I think John's going to get into the territory where every thinking, honest human being can be slain in the Spirit by the truth and the implications of these words. Hear what I said. Thinking and honest you're going to need those things. Head in the sand, ears stopped up, uh, headlong into whatever makes you happy is not the way to hear these things. But he says here in verse 19, and this is the judgment. Here's the verdict. The verdict is in. This is as, as courtroom as you can get. The verdict has been given. The light has come into the world. That, that's the knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. They had the light, they chose the darkness because their works were evil. Now let me read it again. This is the judgment. Here's how it all works, John is saying. Light has come into the world. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now that's an interesting way to put that last phrase. Last two phrases, actually. Because... 
their works were evil. So which is it? The embracing of darkness on an intellectual level? The atheist? I just don't believe those things. Doesn't make sense to me. So I'm going to enjoy some darkness now on a behavioral level. Or do they enjoy their darkness for a while and become intellectually convicted, arrive at the point that I don't believe any of these. This is kind of like the chicken or the egg. Which, which, which one was first? Um, one of our children, Ben, he, he left a little bit ago for Children's Church. He's our youngest. He's five now. Uh, it's always interesting when your children begin to talk. It's like they go from, will they ever say anything, to will they ever shut up? That's the way it seems to go. Once they get a working vocabulary, things begin to just explode. And it, it's always interesting. And, and in your home, when you're the parents, it's always more interesting to you. Don't be surprised if you put these things on Facebook and nobody really thinks much of them. But it's always cute in your own house, right? Well, Ben had this thing where he would confuse uh, the word because and the word why. And the way that they were used in the sentence. Uh, let's just say he'd been outside and it's cold. And he comes in tells Corey it's cold. And she says, it's cold outside. He would say, that's because I came in. Instead of, that's why I came in. Or say he's out on his scooter and he crashes it, which he does quite often. He comes in all scraped up and he's upset. He's got a boo-boo. And then he would say, uh, Corey, you've got a boo-boo on your arm. And he'd say, that's why I crashed. Instead of, this is because I crashed. He'd get them backwards. So it looks like John is saying here, I mean, just what what is the natural way you would think about this? And this is the judgment. Light came into the world. The people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil? Or that's why their works were evil? You know, you could put a comma. They love the darkness rather than light. That's why their works were evil. There's no mistakes here. What we think is cute in our home with Ben, which won't last much longer. I don't think he's said it much anymore. Look, Corey's got her bottom lip out. They do grow up. But John makes no mistakes. This is inspired scripture. It says because. Why would it be that our intellectual ascent follows our back? You know, how did Adam get into the trouble he got in? Oh, he was thinking, Eve was thinking, they believed a lie, but boy, you really didn't see things run off the rails until after sin entered the picture, right? Then you see him blaming it on his wife and all kinds of trouble. What about uh, Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't walk with the people who will counsel you toward sinfulness nor standeth in the way of sinners that's behavioral or sitteth in the seat of the scornful the scornful is the academic who mocks the truth as if it's all a lie but he's at the end of the cycle not the beginning of the cycle do you suppose that it's because of our perpetual living in darkness that we actually become accustomed to the darkness and we cease to be able to see the light And then we concoct ways in which to skirt around the scriptures in order to justify what it is we want to do, how we want to do it, with whomever we want to do whatever. 
That's what John is saying happens here. It speaks to blindness, a willing, deliberate blindness. And if you need any indication or test as to how this works, just think about how well you like someone shining a flashlight in your face in a dark room. And I'm talking about behaviorally. And you got college kids. And they all got the things that they like to do. When we were in college, we weren't foolish enough to post everything we ever did on Facebook. I really don't get some of this generation because they seem to just tell everybody everything as if to flaunt it. Maybe they think that their parents don't look at this or somebody that knows their parents or friends or whatever. But usually the, the clean shirt is the one that gets poked fun of and ridiculed, not the dirty shirt, right? You need some help with that. No, I'll manage just fine. Why don't you leave me alone? Because in the darkness, you don't see all the rest of this stuff. In the light, it all shows. There's, there's shame, same as it was when Adam and Eve realized they had no clothes on. It says everything to do with deliberate blindness. Now, verse 20, John begins to elaborate with with illustrations and this is why I think this touches everybody who's honest in thinking for everyone who does wicked things alright who's included there everybody but then you might say that it's a little different if there's a pattern of evil things the reason they do that is because they hate the light and do not come to the light lest his or their works should be exposed. Again, flashlight in a dark room. You can see things with light that you can't see in the dark. Verse 21, But whoever does what is true comes to the light that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, if you're paying attention, you can circle specific words in here. Everyone who does wicked things does not come into the light. Whoever does what is true comes to the light. That it may be clearly seen, it's obvious, that the works that are carried out in him have been carried out in God. So what you could say here is that it has everything to do with what you love and what you hate. That's pretty much your choice, isn't it? What you love and what you hate. You'd call that your business. Well, in this case, you're held accountable to your business as to what you love and what you hate. God loved a world who hated him and his son. And those who don't Want the gospel usually want something else more. Because really, honestly, who doesn't want something free? You know somebody that's just like that? Hey, if it's free, it's for me. Right? Who doesn't want to be saved? Who doesn't want a free ride? Who doesn't want something that's good for them? This is all ridiculous. Unless, of course, there's something they like better. And usually that's where we start to feel cramped. It's where we begin to feel self-conscious or or awkward, or even embarrassed when we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we know, and they know, when we're talking, there's a point to which there is a accounting or a weighing of options here, and there is what I want to do, and then there's what I know requires if I take it, I'm expected to be different. I'm saved from all that, and it's a choice. And if you want, if, if you're the, the thinking intellectual type and you want extra credit homework, go study some of the enlightened intellectuals who were the ones to push back and kick down the walls of morality when we began to go into the modern era. 
and there were no rules, and everything was relative. Some of them, even on their deathbed, would confess. It was all fabricated because we had what we wanted to do. And morality kept us from doing that. Morality came from the Bible. The Bible must be destroyed. So that's how it works. Everything looks good until you're forced to make a decision between what you want and what God wants. The problem is we're all sinners and we have a sweet tooth for sin. Then comes along the gospel and we've got to make a choice. And I think we all deep down know that we are all too familiar with the darkness. Remember at Christmas when we talked about Christmas lights and how the light of the world was, was, was presented across the backdrop of darkness? And we'd like to be able to say we're not bad people. We'd like to be able to subscribe to the gospel according to Oprah. Everybody's all right. Something makes them go wrong if they're bad. The truth is we're all bad. We're all wrong. Without a light into the dark world, we have no hope. And we talked about then how. We all know that we're familiar with the darkness because the most excruciatingly painful thing we could ever think of is to put on these screens up here. Just the contents of our hearts from this past week. And the longer you've been a Christian, the more you identify with Paul, who, who seems to be done with himself. Who will save me from this body of death? The, what I want to do, I don't get done. And what I, want, I, I don't want to do, that actually, that's what I do. It seems as if we're absolutely lost, hopeless, toast. Unless, of course, there's another way out. There is. Do you believe it? If you do, you're not condemned. If you don't, you're condemned already. Because you're condemned already, because of your unbelief, and because of your loving darkness rather than light. High stakes, life or death. Turn back to John 1 just for a moment. And look at verse 9. You remember I told you everything we're going to read in the other chapters is found in the prologue, the first 18 verses. This is what John told us would happen. And we're, we're seeing it described in Nicodemus the same way. Look at verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. Verse 12, but this transition is so much better than the transition between 17 and 18 and in 18. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. How does he do that? Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, how much wiggle room do you think you've got in there to make a deal with the Lord? It's not born of blood, that's flesh, or of your will. You're making your mind up to do better. Or the will of man. It's just a way of saying the same thing. It has nothing to do with us, but of God. So those who believe on His name and are given the right to become the children of God... On whose terms is this offer of grace and salvation? God's terms. The term is this. Kind of like the rich young ruler. 
Son, you know what to do. You've kept these things from your youth up. But there's some things hanging you up, and I can show you where. You sell all that stuff that's holding you up. Become a nobody and follow me. Then I'll know I can see straight to your heart. But there are walls built up around what you love more than me. And they're going to separate you from me. You see how that worked? That's the truth of it. What do you love more? Because it's on God's terms. There's no negotiating. But here's the light at the end of the tunnel. Light through the cloud. This is a, this is a hard saying of Jesus. Difficult sermon to hear. Difficult to preach. If you have an interest in the light, if you have a thirst for the light, that means God's working in you because you don't have that naturally, right? You're born in darkness. You like darkness. It says right here, the light came into the world. World made through him. World did not know him. His own people didn't receive him. It says that the the gift of, of, of understanding, comprehending, believing the light is even a gift from God. If you at all have any interest in the light, God's working. So answer him. Follow him. Come and see him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Think it through and trust him as your Lord and Savior. That means you believe. And if you believe, you're not condemned. That's the truth of these words. His offering to you is an invitation to come out of the darkness of ignorance and into the light of salvation. Now here's where I very cautiously proceed against what would be a manipulative response to a message. To lean in heavy on the dread of the whole thing. To scare you. To scare you out of hell and into heaven. I've heard preachers do that. But I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that the common ordinary means of grace is sufficient to change the sinful heart. God knows whom are his. And if he's got your number, you know it. So trust him and believe so that you're not condemned. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that it is not left up to us to try by some means to atone for our own sin or to measure up to the standard of your glory. But you came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We thank you this morning for the light of the truth of your word. And as the man who spoke to you in tears in response to your question, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. May we not be the type of believers previously in chapter 2 that you wouldn't commit yourselves to because you knew the flaws in our But the belief is described here in 18 and 19 that truly believe, believe in you, that you are our righteousness. And in that we are no longer condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for salvation. Lord, it's in your strong name that we ask these things. Amen. Uh, In the day of prosperity, be happy, but in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not discover anything that will be after him. Father in heaven, we know not what each day holds for us on this earth, but we do know that you are in control. Strengthen us, Lord, 
imparting your Holy Spirit into our lives to comfort and lead our paths. Thank you for our country and for the foundation of Christianity that it was built upon. Help us, Lord, to never take for granted what has been so freely given to us, salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to remember in prayer this day our mission of the week, Transworld Radio, who have headquarters in Cary, North Carolina, and who many of our fellow church members are employed. Thank you for their worldwide mission outreach, as you only know how many people have been reached by their airwaves. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 